0: I don't know if anybody was here last year. Anybody here last year for our anniversary? Just raise your hand if you were here last year for our anniversary. Okay, more than last service, praise God. There was like three people here. Uh, I thank you, all three of you. But, um, uh, you know, last year we raised up some keys, thanking God for a whole building that he gave us. And that was exciting. We were thanking God for a building that is no longer occupied. A building we can't even use anymore. No one can use anymore. There's no way we could have known this time last year that we would have only been in that building for four months. We It took us four months to prepare to be in the building for a building we were only in for four months. And when you think about moments like that where you feel like I'm going to get something and all of a sudden, for the amount of time I prepared to get it, it was taken away. That can lead to a great deal of frustration and disappointment. Here's what I believe. God continually instructs us. I believe that we're never called to just be an organization or an institution. We are followers of Jesus. And God has the right to do a new thing. To change things, to say, hey, you got to go across the street and to be in this shoebox, praise God, together (laughs) and worship the living God. We are in a season of transition. We're looking for a building. Who knows what God will do? But it it makes me think about why we started. We didn't start the church to have a great building. We started the church so that we could reach people who don't really feel that they can come to church. Who feel awkward walking into the church building. Who feel uncomfortable. There are some people who feel too confused, too ashamed, and too far to walk into a church building. And the reason why we know that that's real for people who are not in the building is because there's times that you've felt that. There are times when you felt too far, too ashamed, too confused, overwhelmed, to even be in the house of God. And so we're reminded that people want to feel connected to God and they feel too far and our church has been created for those folks. This afternoon, would you just take a second to pray and I want you to think of someone who would never come to church. Ever. Not with an R at the end. Ever. Ever. They would never come to church. I want you to think about that person that is, they get upset when you bring up Jesus. They've been hurt by the church. They're overwhelmed to even think about the scriptures. I want you to think of that person right now. And I want us to have our minds on someone who wouldn't walk in this building on their own. The only way they'll get here is if there's a bridge that reaches them. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that even now, your precious presence would be with us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on this time. Remind us of how you captured our hearts, captured our lives, interrupted the direction we were going. Spirit of God, only you can change us. We are not worthy, (laughs) worship the living God we are wretches separated and yet because of your grace and your mercy you have found us, transformed our lives, so even now God, would you bless this time use us to reach people, that person that we're thinking about, awaken them to your mercy, to your love, to your grace and allow us to be a part of praying for those who are far from you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. 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 Year eight, what a year. Um, Some people have been here longer than others, but in year eight, uh, we think about different, you know, they they have this term numerology, or uh, it's when you study of numbers, and there are certain numbers that have some significant meaning spiritually. Uh, 40 is the year of testing you've thought about maybe, or seven is the year of completion or the number of completion. The number eight, biblically, is the number indicating new beginnings, starting again. So if you think about uh, young boys who were circumcised in Jerusalem or um, in Israel, they were circumcised on the eighth day, an indication that they were born, but the circumcision was an indication that they were now in the family of God. And in a sense, they were born again. If you look on Noah's ark, there were only eight people left when the ark was able to save people. When you look at Jesus in the New Testament, he appears in a resurrected body, he appears eight times. That number has this indication of new beginnings. And I believe that in our eighth year, there's no way that I could have predicted that we would have all these new people. No way I could have predicted a pandemic coming Being in our third building, this is our third building we've been in in one year. There's no way I could have just predicted that. But I believe that what God is doing in this season is bigger than being in a new building. It's bigger than having new people. I believe that God is calling us in our eighth year to have a new posture. Uh, Jesus uses this imagery in Matthew chapter nine. He says it this way, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. He says, if it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. Jesus in this imagery is using the imagery of how The wine skin holding the wine, if it's old, it can't contain new wine because new wine, it's ferment and it grows. And so because of that growing dynamic of the wine, it will break those old wine skins. He's using that as an imagery of talking about the kingdom of God and dealing with old traditions of Jerusalem. He's saying in this new iteration, I am now gonna preach a kingdom that's gonna bring forth people and bring forth a style of ministry that this old way that we've been doing things cannot contain what I want to do now. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, I believe that God has a new posture for our church and we cannot do things the way that we've been doing for this new posture. (laughs) I love our church. Um, You know, it is also beautiful to come back and I mean, look at all this. Give it up for the people that did all these balloons and all this stuff. <laughs> Corrine and all the other uh, I've never felt more appreciated in ministry my entire life. I, lo- I love walking in and, and the hugs. And um, it is an honor to be called Pastor James. It's an honor to do your, your, your uh, um, baby dedications and the weddings. And it's an honor to, to counsel. It's an honor to talk to people after church. um, You don't bother me, I love you. So it's an honor, it truly is, thank you. So when we say we have a church that has a loving community, I really mean that. And I mean that not that there's love happening, it means I feel loved, right? Um, But I, I also think that as I feel loved, and as you feel compelled towards our community, you know that there are people outside of here that feel unloved. You know that there are people who long to feel connected. See, what I've thought about is who we are currently. We're primarily made up of of three types of people. Uh, The first is a transplant. Some of you came from a good church and you Googled our church and you came to our church and you went from good church to good church. You're like, I had a good experience over here and now I transplanted. And maybe you came from a different city, a different borough, but you transplanted in and you're like, hey, I'm having another good experience. Some of you, though, are wanderers. You came from a toxic situation. You were hurt or there was something happening in another community. And you just kind of wandered away and you're just trying to figure out where you could fit and you found some place to fit within our church community. And then others of you, it's not that you were looking for a church, you're really trying to reconnect with God. You know, the Bible calls people who were once walking with God that walked away backsliders. But some of you are coming back, so you're slide backers. And then you're, <laughs> you're coming back and we, we, we praise God for the slide back ministry. I. I am a part of the slide back ministry, amen. Yes. I've, I've come back after wandering and sliding away. And, but that, what that means, what I mean by that is, you, you were brought up in a faith and you walked away. And Bridge Church is now a new pattern of walking with God. And so we praise God for those people. But with all those groups of people, here's one thing that I've concluded Most of you have come up in a community, a family, or a culture of faith. Many of you are the legacy of someone else's prayers. Someone else started going to church. Someone else started praying. Someone else started reading the word. And you inherited your faith. And you slid back because you were trained. You wandered in because it was given to you. And you transplanted in because someone prayed over you, read over you, and blessed you. And so as much as I love having transplants, wanderers, and slide backers, I believe there's another group we can never forget about, and that's foreigners. You see, when you're a foreigner, I went, I went to Colombia, and it was so awesome going over there. It was a great time. Uh, shout out to Arepas. Have Anybody ever had oh, an Arepa? Yeah. Listen, yeah. Ministry, ministry, listen, ministered to me, Amen. I mean, um so I mean oh yeah I'm speaking <laughs> Spanish now. So uh it was incredible. But praise God as much as I loved being there they're not they they weren't set up to have foreigners. Everybody was speaking and I didn't know what anybody was talking about. I had someone there to translate for me. A community is hard to be in when you don't have someone there to tell you what's going on. on. A community is also hard when they're not waiting for foreigners. And sometimes we get so comfortable being transplants, wanderers, slide backers that we forget about the foreigners. The ones that lift my hands, I've never lifted my hands. What? Where is this? Do I don't even have the Bible app. Where do I sit? How long do we sit here? Sometimes we get used to having the same types of people that we forget that not everyone inherits a faith. There are some people who are hungry to know God, but simply don't know how to reach him. What if we were a church that started to see themselves differently? Some of you are coming in and you're just getting used to walking with God consistently, so take your time. But I just want you to know the end game. The end game is not just to find community here. The end game is what um, Peter talks about, First Peter 2. He says, you are a chosen people. This is what he gives. This is identity. He says, a royal priesthood, yeah. a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light." Look at the imagery there. Priesthood and people who declare God's mercy and praise. This imagery of a priest, one priest would be the intercessor and mediator over a community, one priest. But in this new covenant, we don't have one priest, we have a priesthood. And when you come into a relationship with God, you become the intercessor of your home of your community, of the business you're a part of, and of your neighborhood. You are the intercessor of your apartment complex. You are the intercessor of your block. Your intercessory ministry is within inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. We truly are a priesthood. Our church is, um, we did have a, a plethora of weddings over the pandemic, and yet, <laughs> We still are 85% single. People don't believe me, trust me, and believe. We're a very, very, very very single church. But I just want you to know, you do not have to wait to have kids to have a legacy spiritually. Come on. That's right. Your spiritual legacy can begin today as you walk in your identity as a priest. Amen. But remember, you're not a priest alone. We're part of a priesthood. And so with that, this new wine, that I believe God is calling us to is to be a ministry that yes, we want to be known for community. Yes, we want to know, be known for God's word. But I pray that we are known for our people, to being a people and a church of prayer, yeah. a church that prays over nations, people, and situations. We are, next year, going to again begin the year off with a 21-day campaign of prayer and fasting. Praise God, praise God. <laughs> Not sure. I remember such elation over prayer and fasting. 21 days of prayer and fasting, we'll have a devotional that goes along with that to kick the year off in the right spirit. Our Wednesday night Bible study will focus on studying, and, studying prayer and praying uh, all next semester. Beginning of our sermons will have a greater emphasis on prayer. We will budget our first 10 minutes to praying over a different prayer category so that we can model intercession every week. If we do not model it, you know, um, I want to say this. I don't know uh, where you're at spiritually or what you believe about the gifts. But I believe God still heals. So I, I think that what if we budget our time and just said, if you need healing today, and we begin to pray over those who have physical ailments. I think sometimes when you have a church that emphasizes the word, sometimes we de-emphasize the supernatural power of God. And we take away his ability to do things that, first of all, you're a miracle. If you, if you did not have God interrupt your life, you would not come here. So if he can do that, I believe he can heal cancer. I believe he can do anything. And so why not budget out time to leave room for God to do what only God can do. So we were going to do that at the beginning of our messages. We want to continue to pray for the transformation of cities and families and businesses, our bodies. We want to pray for young men, young women. We want to pray for those who are incarcerated uh, and formerly incarcerated looking for jobs. We want to pray for policies. We want to pray against principalities. We want to pray for everything because one of the things that this city does is it gets you to be a person who complains about everything. If you want to start a good relationship with somebody in the city, start complaining about something. I mean, it's November, and traditionally, you know what's in November? Cold. But if you want to start a friendship, be like, it is cold! Dude, it is cold! Oh my God! And they'll be like, Right! Am I, did I lie? So all I'm saying is this city has a unique type of pressure. But maybe God has called us to not join in the complaints alone. But maybe we fulfill what he's called you here for is to be an intercessor. And, And that means that we need to be people who not only feel the pressures and the burdens of this city, but we begin to always keep a spiritual vision of what God is doing and not just what's happening in the temporal. We keep our eyes on Jesus. And so I want that for you. And so I want to look briefly at a text in Mark chapter two. You can open up your Bibles to Mark chapter two. For those of you that have your Bibles or if you have an app, we'll also have it on the screen. Mark chapter two, as you're going there, I want you to understand that contextually, Jesus has been healing people and he has been delivering them from demons. And as Jesus heals and delivers, both in Mark two and in Luke five, the the stories, it, it, it gives a summary saying he's healed and delivered. Now, if you look in the New Testament, what you see for the most part when Jesus heals or delivers Most of the time, someone comes to him or he goes to them. Someone comes to him or he goes to them. You have a few instances where you'll have a parent that comes on behalf of their child. You have a few instances where family members, uh, Mary and Martha, come on behalf of their brother Lazarus. But for the most part, people come to Jesus or Jesus comes to them. But the beauty of this story is a man that wanted to come to Jesus, but could not come on his own power or volition. He had four friends that took him to Jesus. It's wonderful seeing Jesus deliver people from demons, deliver them from ailments. But there are some people that won't come to Jesus. There's some people that won't Google a church. So what I believe this story tells us is some people need to be delivered to Jesus before they're delivered by Jesus. They need to be brought right to Jesus. And in so doing, he transforms them and changes them. That means many of us have an assignment to deliver someone to Jesus, to help them see the living God by bringing them to him. Look here in Mark chapter two, verses one and two, it says, and when he returned to Capernaum, After some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Notice there, it says there was no room, not even at the door. I want you guys in your mind, and I think imaginatively, this might be hard. I want you to Imagine a room that's so filled, it's hard to even move around. I know that's difficult to do, but just a small space with a lot of people where there's some people standing up and they can't move around. Is it in your mind's eye? Praise God. Then in Mark chapter two, verses three through five, we're going to read it together. Mark chapter two, verses three through five. Uh, We're going to begin at and and we're going to read it together on three. One, two, three. And they. several points I want us to remember from this text. There's this paralytic who's laying on his bed and his friends decide they're going to carry him to see Jesus in a room that's filled. So they decide, since we can't get him in the room, we'll take him up on the roof and we'll bust open the roof. Now, I want you to consider just for a second how beautiful this story is written, but how ugly it must have been. Yes. Right. Because to bust open a roof right. during a sermon is awkward, maybe weird, but deeply distracting. Yes. Two weeks ago, there was somebody deciding to like, you know, blow their leaves during church. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm preaching my whole heart out. And I couldn't even continue. I'm like, listen, could somebody close the window? Golly, that was for a leaf blower. Imagine someone breaking open the roof in the middle of where I'm preaching. That means that this, what does this say? 20 minutes, 25 minutes? How long does it take to bust open a roof? I don't know. All I'm saying is no one acted like this was normal. No one was like, oh, okay, they're about to bust the roof open to get the dude down. Everybody was like, what is going on? And all I'm trying to say is, in order to get that man to Jesus, they had to disrupt everything they were doing. They couldn't keep doing things the same because if they kept doing the same things, they'd get the same kind of people. But this was a man that wouldn't come on his own. This was a man that couldn't be carried in. So they had to completely destroy and disrupt everything they've been doing. That's why we said for the first 10 minutes we want to budget that time of prayer. But I also say to you, I believe that there are people you are naturally burdened for that you pray for. But I believe God has also called you to pray for the people you're naturally burdened by. The people that are interrupting your life, disrupting your life, and frustrating your life. God has not only called you to be distracted by them, but to intercede for them. You're the priest. You're the priest. You're the priest on the job. You're the priest. Some, some of you are the priest of your family. Your fathers weren't there. You're the priest. Some of you are the priest. You're the priest of your home and the priest of your neighborhood. You're the priest of your job and you're the priest around your friends. You're, you're waiting on your friends to change. You're the priest. You're the priest. You're the priest, and because you're the priest, you're the one that has a relationship with God, and you can bring those issues before the living God. That means that our prayer lives have to change a little bit. That maybe the things that we're frustrated by and complaining about need to not just be added to conversation, but to the conversation with God. They need to be added to the prayer list. I want you to rethink your prayer list. I want you to rethink how we look at prayer And I want you to re-identify not just as a person who is bothered, but as a priest who has an assignment. The other thing that is here, which I find fascinating in the text, is in verse five, um, uh, it says that at the end, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, that is very nice to have your sins forgiven. I think that's very kind of Jesus to do. (laughs) here's the only challenge like if I was a paralytic and they just I guess shimmied me down into this uh, building and I'm there what I want to hear is you are healed I signed up for healing I I I didn't come for all this sins forgiveness stuff where's the healing part and what Jesus does is he deals with his real need, not his felt need. And what, what you have to realize is when Jesus wants to minister to our neighbors, that some, there are some people that are only going to come to church because they're trying to get a new job. They're like, I need some prayer. I need a new job. And listen, that's all right. That's all right. Like, you know, you know, what I'm trying to tell you is it's OK if you are partnering with someone on their felt needs but you're asking Jesus to deal with the real needs there are people coming to you can you pray for me and you're like yes I'll pray for that thing but in the meanwhile you're like Jesus you know what you need to do you feel me because they're praying for something for them but they don't know they're missing him they don't know they're missing him they're praying for relationships, they're praying for jobs, they're praying for healing, and God wants to do all things, but just look what he puts in priority. Your real need is that your sins are not forgiven, yeah. and that you are separated from the living God. That's good, yeah. And so what we want to do is, it's okay, you don't, you don't have to give people a theological treatise on who God is and all that. Pray with them about their felt needs, but then just keep that one wink eye open yeah. about their real need, and let, let, let Jesus deliver them from their sins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let him do that real work. The other thing I want you to notice in the text is in verse three. It says, and they they came bringing him to a paralytic, uh, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Notice it were four people who carried him. One could not carry him alone. If this man was gonna get to Jesus, there had to be a corporate, a cooperation to carry him. So they take one, each takes an edge of the bed and gets him to Jesus. If one tried to do it alone, I'm sure he would have quit in the middle. If one tried to do it alone, it would have taken longer. But when four partnered together to get this one man, they were able to do it so that his needs could be met. There are some things that you are praying for by yourself, and they're too heavy for you on your own. God allows us to have some deep burdens that we feel because he is actually calling us not to just be in deep seasons of interception for that thing, but he's asking us to cooperate with the priesthood because there are some people who are too heavy to carry on our own. There are some situations that are too heavy to carry, and you act strong, but you really, it's too heavy for you. And you need other people to lighten the load to help carry it for you. For those of you that are in growth groups, that, that means, or those of you that have other people who pray with you, that means that we can't just be praying for the weather, thank God. We can't just be praying for Grandma. We can't just be praying for our job. Sometimes we like to pray safe prayers with people because we don't trust people. I get that. But all I'm saying is there are situations that are so heavy for you that they're destroying you. And we have to ask God, God, would you help send someone to carry this with me? So I don't have to carry this alone. Because if that situation is gonna be delivered to Jesus, you will not be able to deliver it by yourself. And God actually gives you heavy burdens sometimes so that you know you cannot live in isolation, but that you need to partner in prayer. The other thing that I I find interesting and maybe, maybe the most fascinating about this text is in verse five, it says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now I'm not a scholar but I would think the text would say, and when Jesus saw his faith, but it doesn't say when Jesus saw his faith, it says their faith. That means he was not looking at the man's faith. He was looking at the friend's faith. This man did nothing to be healed except lay there. Isn't that dope? That was pretty nice. He got carried to Jesus. I guess they had like a pulley system to bring him down, shimmy down, lays down, and, he, and, and I want you to notice, it says, it didn't say he felt, it says he saw the faith of the friends. It all took faith. Carrying this man on a mat for however long, that took faith. In order to get to the roof, what that means? That means they had to carry him up steps to bust open that roof. That took faith. To create some pulley system where he goes down. That took faith. It was faith to get him here. Faith to get him on the roof. Faith to open up the roof. Faith to let him down. And Jesus says, I saw their faith. Every step of the way, it was faith that was driving them. Not strategy. Not wisdom. Yeah, yeah. They were just deeply burdened for their friend. Yeah, yeah. And Jesus says, I saw your faith and I'm going to bless him because of you. That should change your theology. That there are people that you're around right now that are far, distant, confused about God, and they will not walk to Jesus on their own, but they will be carried by your faith. Your faith. Your faith can change situations. Your faith can change people. Your faith. But this also means the corollary. Some of you are feeling far from God right now, and you need to borrow someone else's faith. Someone else's faith can stimulate growth in you. Sometimes, you, sometimes we're carrying the mat, but sometimes we're on the mat. Yeah. Sometimes we're carrying people to Jesus, but sometimes I need to be carried to Jesus. There's some situations in your life and issues right now, you need to be carried to Jesus. But there are other things that you need to carry people to Jesus. We cannot do this on our own. The faith of the four changed this man's life. Maybe... When I told you to think of someone that is far from God, maybe you thought of a person you know intimately. Maybe it's just a person you wander by. Maybe it's a spouse or a coworker. but I've seen God change situations I thought he'd never change. I've seen God change people, radically change people, and it was only because of prayer. I want to say that part of what causes us to pray deeply burdened prayers for people is connection. When you have compassion for people, you begin to pray deeply for them. For us to begin to have deeper compassion, we must be reminded that the real problem inside the hearts of many people around us is their disconnection from God. And we must remind ourselves that the true burden we have for people is to pray over them because of that disconnection. But I want to say quickly, uh, 1 Corinthians twelve nine talks about a gift of faith. And I just want to encourage some of you. Some of you have a gift of faith. Some of y'all have the kind of faith that when we see it, it looks crazy. How crazy did it look when they were busting open that roof? How crazy? What did they do to get him down there? They probably got some ropes. How crazy did they look? How crazy did they look when they were walking them to Jesus? And people are like, where y'all going? Are we going to go see Jesus. And they're like, why y'all going to walk them over there? Let, let, him, let Jesus come to him. How crazy did they look? They look crazy all the way till Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm just saying that there are some situations that in the middle of it, you look crazy. At the end, you look wise. And I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. Some of you have a gift of faith that we need. You have the kind of faith that moves mountains. You have no problem taking great risks on God's behalf. And I'm saying that we need to partner with you, just like we need the evangelist to teach. We need the evangelist to reach. We need the teacher to teach. We need people of faith to have deep faith so that you can carry us in your faith. James Banks says this, when we pray for our prodigal friends, kids, and situations, we carry them on stretchers of faith to Jesus. We do the heavy lifting, but they receive the benefit. They may be entirely passive or even actively resisting us, but Jesus sees our faith as we bring them to him. One of the things that Banks brings out is when they were carrying the man, they were never looking at the man, they were always looking to Jesus. (laughs) One thing that will discourage you is when you're praying for someone, you keep looking at them for transformation and they will frustrate you. Stop looking at them. Keep looking at Jesus because you'll be like, I've been praying for a year and you are still. Oh, G- Jesus, just stop. Lo- stop looking at them. They on, the they on the mat. They on the mat. They on the mat. They're on the mat. They didn't think he was going to do like some rehab, like he was going to stretch his legs and all of a sudden he wasn't going to be a paralytic. They're like the only way there'll be change is when Jesus steps in. We got to get them to Jesus. And, all, and what I'm trying to tell you is there are situations, people, and things you keep looking at to think it'll change because it's time. Don't wait for time. Deliver them to Jesus. He'll do it in his own time. And, and I'll say this. I, I, I fundamentally believe that, although this text doesn't bring this out, I believe that as they were doing it, how much faith did it take for them? They had an ever-increasing faith. Yeah. And I believe sometimes in the process, God's deepening your faith. The, all, the reason you're praying isn't just for them, it's for you. Yeah. It's deepening your faith and deepening your walk. I just want to tell this story as we get ready to close. Jim Simbola, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle right around the corner, tells a, a great story. If you know the context, his daughter was wayward in drugs far from God, raised in church, but became a prodigal. Reads this way, he says, we entered into a time of prayer like Acts 4, speaking of his Tuesday night prayer service. He says, everyone reaching out to the Lord in concert together. Symbala says, an usher handed me a note. A young woman whom I felt to be spiritually sensitive had written on this note, Pastor Symbala. I feel impressed that we should stop the meeting and all pray for your daughter. In a few minutes, he says, I picked up the microphone and told the congregation that I was going to pray for my daughter and the situation going on with her. There arose a groaning and a sense of desperation and determination as if to say, Satan, you will not have this girl. Take your hands off her. She's coming back. Symbla says, I was overwhelmed. The force of that vast throng calling on God almost literally knocked me over. He says, when I got home that night, Carol, his wife, was waiting up. We sat at the kitchen table and he said to her, it's over with Chrissy. You would have have had to be in that prayer meeting tonight. I tell you, if there's a God in heaven, this whole nightmare is finally over. He writes, 32 hours later, on a Thursday morning, his daughter walked in. He says, we both just began to cry. Here's what she said. Listen, Daddy, who was praying for me? My She said, who was praying for me? She said, Daddy, on Tuesday night, who was praying for me? She said, I didn't say anything. But something was happening. She says, in the middle of the night, God woke me up and showed me I was heading towards their abyss. There was no bottom to it, and it scared me to death. I was so frightened, and I realized how hard I've been, how wrong I've been, how rebellious I've been. But at the same time, it was like God wrapped me in his arms around me and held me tight. He kept me from sliding any farther and assured me I still love you and I'm not walking away. Similar writes, that same Tuesday night, that same very hour, while the church was praying, God moved in her soul and showed her that she was heading towards destruction all the while flooding her heart with a sense of love. Oh, I asked that you would just pull out your phones real quick. I just want to ask three questions before we go. Right now, who are you praying for? That name that I asked you to think about, a person who is just far, 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 would never walk into a church. Who are you praying for? This church is for them. Who are you praying for? Secondly, who have you stopped praying for? You just said, you know, this, you've gotten fatigued. Who have you stopped praying for? And thirdly, who do you need to start praying for? I want you to think about your frustrations, your burdens, your complaints. There are certain people that have begun to just, they're, they're bothering you, and yet you, you, you've, you've thought of them as an interruption, but they're actually an assignment. Who do you need to start praying for? Next, our next sermon series is going to be based in Mark chapter 11, when Jesus says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus had to do that. He quoted Isaiah 56, because thousands a year before, and at that point, and even still now, the church has a habit of always creating insiders and outsiders. God, may it never be that we're just transplants, wanderers, and slide backers. May we always be a church for the foreigners, for the people that don't have a legacy. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you even now, create new wine. Create new power. Create new ministry in this place. Create a new season where you use my body, my voice, for truly we are priests, a holy nation called to declare your goodness and your mercy. Father, would you do something new in our midst? There's a whole category of person that's not thinking about church, but thinking about God. God, would we be a bridge to those that feel far? Amen. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at Bridgechurch NYC. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.